I'm hungry, and it's not for dinner. Here on V'ger Please, a heinous trip at Warp 5. My name is Joseph. Hey, you mind coming over to the back door so I can show you this cool thing? I God, I promise I'm not going to shoot you. I'm your co-host, Peter. Before we get into some of the worst, uh, yet most effective capture plans ever devised uh, within the Milky Way galaxy, I would like to talk to you about the trap I fell into. That is watching Star Trek Picard. The trap? What curious language you're using, Joe? It is a trap because it's still pretty good. And I'm, like you said last time, you know, waiting for me to be punished Hmm. for allowing myself to enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Here is a list of the things that happened in the last episode of Star Trek. So you're like two of these out now? There's two of them now. And they're doing uh, weekly releases? Week re- releases 10 episodes. It's uh, February 23rd, 2023, by the way. All right, Joe, lay it on me. In this episode, Jean-Luc Picard is one step ahead of his enemies, outthinks the main villain on one clear occasion, gives orders, and is respected, and those orders are followed. Well, here, let me... Let me There's, tell you what, what happened. I'm not done. There's more. There's more. There's sure, more amazing real things. Real quick, up to this point. Yeah. Um, as I seem to recall, John Luke is actually a Soon type android now. Yes. So let's assume he just got some sort of over the air update. Yeah. You know, he got he's, the, he's the, one point, the 1.0 to uh, uh, hotfix. Sure. Okay. The primary plots contrivance of the episode involves a, philo- a long standing philosophical debate between Starfleet officers as to the correct course of action in endangering the crew uh, to save a single criminal individual and what the correct choice is. The entire plot's like about that. Okay. The antagonist in the argument who is the captain of the starship in question is not portrayed as wrong or as as incompetent or a doofus, but entirely reasonable in his objection, even though the audience is supposed to be on Picard's side uh, for the opposite side of, of this argument. There is a whiz kid, black female, young character that is not turned into a Mary Sue, but is in fact over enthusiastic and sort of annoying, and everyone has the reaction to her you would expect. Okay. It's like, you're doing everything correctly for a change, and I still don't believe you. You know, mm-hmm. like... Sure. If all of this is what I wanted, <laughs> right? Like, I, 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 I like what you're doing here. Aside from, you know, there's some sloppiness with the... With the with some of the particular choices with the dialogue, it it screams didn't have enough time to reshoot things, mm-hmm. you know, like they just had the script and they just kind of blew through it. And some of it works really well. And some of it doesn't, um, the, it, it definitely is a more budget show, which helps explain why the plot seems to be more talky and more like Star That's Trek. That's where Star Trek needs to be with low budget. Right. Star um, Trek became a great, talky show out of necessity because special effects are expensive another thing that happened Worf showed up and absolutely bodied four dudes with a mech lift (laughs) like just crushed them Mm -hmm. 
I can't tell you to watch it. Yeah. But man, hope, maybe by the end of it, I can. You I know, hope I'm things hoping. keep going great. Uh, I, I hope you're getting exactly what you want out of this. And I hope that your wildest dreams come true with this thing. Because the more and more good stuff that happens there, mm-hmm. the heavier that base of all that's going to be when that bad episode comes and busts you over the fucking head. <laughs> and all the more you, crushing the defeat will be. Knocks you yeah. face down in that trench of shit. You're a connoisseur of schadenfreude. I, I, I am. I, I'm I so, appreciate I'm that so about happy you. to hear that this thing is going well for you. Yeah. I'm, I'm just tickled pink. Then sometime in April when I come to you with tears in my eyes, mm-hmm. you know, and and a, a soul that has been crushed by by cruel reality yet again, you can reap a grim harvest. Mm-hmm. I'll be there waiting. One, one, one more update, though, before we yes. get into the episode. Remember our, our friend from Antarctica? Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Gabe, Gabe, the Antarctic adventure. I've decided Gabe's had enough interaction with us and his situations. You can unique enough that uh, Gabe will not be his name. His uh, on air name shall be Arthas, King of the Frozen Wastes. <laughs> so the Lich King, uh, he <laughs> he because it's that kind of villain that would subject us to other people. Right. Yeah. And that's the, the key th- takeaway is that he shared with us that um Apparently, a lot of the residents of McMurdo Station, Antarctica, have in fact listened to V'ger, please, because he and his friends would watch bad episodes of Voyager, listen to the show while playing. And I'm not kidding here. Magic the Gathering. Uh, So it's like a perfect fan built in a lab who who understood the assignment so well, he exposed his Arctic uh, uh Co-workers, captive audience, captive yes. audience to our Arthas, we salute you. Tell you what, why don't you get Arthas's uh, P.O. box or whatever he's got there, and let's see if we can't get him some stickers to deface <laughs> property out there and get us a picture. I would, I would like nothing more than for our face to to adorn some part of McMurdo Station. I like that. It. I will pay for that to happen. I like it. I, I owe Jack a sticker anyway, so I need to. I need to go we got buy a lot of stickers. Go. That's a that's our problem with having all these international listeners. Very expensive postage bills. The only thing that was expensive this week in regards to Enterprise was the amount of the the value of the time I spent watching it. What was the name of the episode we watched? Season two, episode twenty five, Bounty, coming to us first aired May fourteenth, two thousand three. Written by Hans. Tobison and Mike Sussman and Phyllis Strong. Actually, I'm sorry, that's the teleplay. Story by Rick Berman, Bram Braga, directed by Roxanne Dawson. Getting a lot of chances in the chair. I'll say that. She's getting some opportunities. Um, Not a fan of this episode. I liked the Tellerite and the the sort of story he tells. There, that's like your first opportunity to get to know it. Tellerite really in Trek canon in any significant way. Mm-hmm. And they're a key, you know, Federation species, one of the original signers of the charter. So like, this is important in that regard, but Lord have mercy. We started the season sexually exploiting the fuck out of Jolene Blaylock and man, it looks like we're going to fucking end it that way too. It's just so cringe. 
it's so fucking it's so impossible not to see that I'm just like, God, fuck these guys. Like they just couldn't get off the 13 year old horny 13 year old bullshit, you know? So do you want to talk about a plot and B plot separate? Or do you want to just take it blow by blow? A plot and B plot separate, because I do think maybe I can turn around on this one a little bit. If I just talk about the A plot for a while. Okay. And then like bury my negativity about the B plot for, for a discussion specifically about that. All right. So, uh, enterprise is in orbit around, uh, a planet that doesn't matter and it's trip and it's archer coming back up on a shuttle pod and they got their, uh, under armor, half zip <laughs> skin tight shirts with some, uh, slacks on and trips in the middle of telling archer he's a fat ass. And that's why the, the bridge gave out that they were going across or whatever. Uh, and as they get up on the bridge, Reed, who's sitting on the the captain's chair says, hey, you know, we've been getting hailed. There's a ship out there. I ran it through the Vulcan database and it's Tellarite. The Tellarites are a species that was only seen briefly in the background of a mo- one of the movies before this. It was either it was either Star Trek four or. Uh, it was search for Spock or Voyage Home. I forget which one. But like that was the first time you've seen a Tellarite uh, on screen in in uh, non animated Trek, and they are a deep background species. Like they are supposed to be basically co founders along with humans, Vulcans, and Andorians of the Federation itself. And introducing them in Enterprise is definitely something that needs to happen. And I thought it cool that they found a way to do that on a just a like deeply personal level that would try and tell you a lot about them as a species in terms of like how they are known as the best engineers in Starfleet. They're the, the best at fixing machines. That is the, you know, in the D&D manual of Star Trek, that's their racial perks, right? Is to do with fixing engines and designing cool things. And they found a way to do that in this plot of this guy's motivation that we'll ultimately find out about is all about his ship, his baby of a ship, his fucking Corvette that he had, you know, when he was a kid and he's tuned up and turned into a fucking real speed demon. Oh, yeah, I know. I know characters like that. So you mean to tell me that he's like a super duper social justice warrior? That That's what you just said, right? Uh, that is incorrect. <laughs> oh, I must have been thinking about Trip and. Uh, cogenitor, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I thought that's how, you know, I pulled up a. Uh, a picture of the original series. Tellarites, they kind of look like pig people a little bit. So it's interesting the makeup they did where it's faithful to the original and obviously uh, way, way, way better. Very thick. Uh, so it starts off very thick facial yeah. makeup. Almost can't get expressions through it at all. Starts off uh, with Archer trying to talk to this guy and he comes out spitting hot. What the hell are you doing here? Uh, I am with the Tellarite Mining Consortium, which is, you know, cool other space organizations out there. 
And Archer goes, well, hey, you know, we were just out here doing science and getting a little bit of uh, shore leave, which is vacation. And then all of a sudden, this guy's entire tune changes. Oh, I know this planet well. And boy, can I give you some hot tips? I consider it my own personal retreat. You should see the ridges of whatever. And there's a sun and just it got me thinking like the Wild West of space. Just think if you could have an entire planet to yourself and a space or some sort of a ship where you could quickly transverse to points in there and just do whatever you want. Like that's that's pretty cool. Like it's it sucks to do that in a video game because it's boring. But like, man, if you could dip your feet in a hot spring and, you know, you're the only one who knows about this entire planet's like rich natural bounty. Now, what would happen, in fact, is you'd put your feet in that hot spring and some fucking flesh eating microbe would <laughs> maul you up to the ankle and there'd be no one there to help you and you would die alone on a planet. It would be your Are own you, personal coffin. But you, you go to try to check it out and there's just Romulan mines everywhere. It's just all these all these honey trap planets are just so that the Romulans can mine them. That would be a very Romulan thing to do. I like it. But this guy, super friendly. Hey, let me help you plan your vacay. I know all the good spots. You know, I'll I'll board your ship. I'll come. We'll hang out. How about that? And Archer's like, yeah, sounds great. Don't get friendly aliens all that often. We heard you guys were kind of argumentative, so this is neat. And just roll down. You're like, oh, let's go meet this guy. Come on, Trip. Now, Head Joe. On. Go ahead. In another RPG life, you and I, we we jumped a lot of people. We did. <laughs> we did some folks real dirty in some back alleys. So let me tell you, what's this guy's name? Scarler? Is, that the, is this this guy's name, Captain Scarlet? Stellar, yeah. Stellar. Game respect game. Yeah. You always, yeah. if you can get people flat-footed thinking you're just going to hang out and do cool stuff, that, mm-hmm. and then bust them with that surprise shot, because that's exactly what happens. They dock their ships, and it's Archer, and it's a trip going down there. Reed, for whatever reason, doesn't deem it you know necessary to go down. That door opens before they could say a word. Boom! Surprise action. You think you are going to just go to a coterie meeting off Elysium, but it's a coterie meeting. It's a meeting. It's a meeting about you. Yeah, <laughs> it's, and it's not an intervention. Nope. <laughs> like you walk in the door, and it's like that scene from fucking Goodfellas. <laughs> like, oh shit! <laughs> yep. I'll be. Shoots a uh, trip. Trip goes down. Archer tries to fight with him a little bit, but sure enough. Archer gets shot too. And that's all it takes, man. I'm like, man, in the the world before transporters and hey, yeah, you can come aboard a ship where I'm going to transport you into this fucking uh, this pad that's surrounded by force fields and all this other security features. This is why you don't go uh, answering the door when just anybody's knocking on the side of your ship because you get got kidnapped and that's just how it is. So uh, after this fun little uh, uh, moment, Read so they get they they get the signal like oh there's been weapons fire oh this guy's leaving oh shit they took Archer Reed pulls everyone out when he pulls everyone out he pulls out to Paul and Flox who well real quick too the science team as the Tellerite's leaving he also shoots Enterprise engine like this guy covers all his bases again he does game respect game so he prevents pursuit so that he can fair escape and. (laughs) 
And so, you know, Reed doesn't have much choice, but just pull pull up stakes and we got to figure out what to do next. And when Paul and Flox come up, Flox is like, nah, we got like some microbe. We got to do the gel thing. Remember the gel thing? Or we just uh, have an excuse to uh, to to get your your clothes off. That's what we got to do. And that's the B plot. We'll tackle that later. It literally has nothing to do with the A plot. To a criminal point. Anyway, so the A plot continues with Archer waking up behind a force field and asking the obvious questions. And the guy that he is um, a prisoner of, the aforementioned Scalar, informs Archer that he is a wanted man by the Klingon Empire, uh, which Archer picked up on from a conversation he was having with his Klingon handler. And this probably has something to do with the fact that he is, as we will find out, the only person to ever escape from Ruapente. Which quite quite a distinction. This man broke out of fucking space Alcatraz. He jailbreaked so hard, no one else has jailbroke like that before. Uh kinda kind of a bogus claim. I think they should have said you're the most famous person to have broken out. It seems sus because it was really easy for them to bribe. Super their- easy. Yeah. You, you so, mean to tell me no one's thought to bribe their way out of that place before? Like it's such a high price point that nobody but Earth could afford. Like that's. Hmm. I will tell you that I completely forgot that he even broke out. Uh, it was uh, super dude bro. Klingon lawyer that got off easy with only the one year. But yeah, Archer was supposed to die on Ruapente. So the inside of this ship, it's small and it's silly. Uh, this ship is a redressed type two shuttlecraft from Voyager. Very clearly so. The force field area mm-hmm. is denoted by yellow kind of artistic swoopy lines that are stable. And then there's like force field in between them stylistically it's interesting and I thought it works anytime you have a bounty hunter with a super small ship where that person is not incapacitated unconscious or somehow like there's no privacy whatsoever every phone call this guy's making uh, every piece of food he's eating like they're just all up in each other's business and I refuse to believe there's any bounty hunter out there conducting business like this even Mandalorian would like fucking he had the portable uh carbon yeah yeah he had the 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 frozen freezing them in carbonite right to collect all of his bounties and then drop them off later but yeah i completely forgot that archer would even be considered uh an escaped fugitive so what a what a feather in his cap and i love the fact that they are playing with this archer gets captured and has to go answer for escaping ruapente and then instead of it just being another Klingon bounty hunter, that there's third party species and, you know, you're seeing the galactic community work. You know, like this guy is basically trying to work off his parking tickets because he decided to take a little trip through Klingon space to save time. And the Klingons did not appreciate that. And so they they impounded his ship and put a big fine on it. And now he's got to work as a as a fucking bag man for the Klingon Empire, the hope of someday paying off his fines. And again, that entire story could work perfectly fine with it being a Klingon. Yeah. 
So so good on them for pivoting away and and dragging this Tellerite guy in. It's show how cool it shows how the Klingons are kind of assholes. You know, like give me more of this context of like how this empire works. Mm-hmm. You know, like and what again, its place in the universe is. The empire in decline, as we will find out later for this guy, his ship, which is really his driving. Well, the ship is in the embodiment of uh, his plight. Years ago, he had a ship. It was awesome. He super modded it out. It was it was the the Millennium Falcon. It was the fastest transport out there, and it was so cool. And he tried to take a shortcut, and all it would have done was just cut through this little insignificant corner of Klingon space that they wouldn't care about. And I believe the quote is, you know, that's when I found out there's no insignificant part of Klingon space. They don't care about. They came after his ass. They impounded his ship. Uh, for whatever reason he got out with his life, but, uh, in losing the ship, he lost a good thing he had going. And that was his own business with his brother and, and life was swell. And now here he is in this little rinky dink old ship, bounty hunting, which uh, is not a glamorous life, and it is nothing he takes any pride in, despite being pretty great at it. And he has a terrible relationship with his brother, as we'll come to find out. It painted a really good picture of this guy and his motivations and his his love for his ship as if it was part of him, if it was a person, you know? Uh, as we will discover, he ends up being deeply discouraged in his efforts to try and cash in the bounty after he finds out from his brother that the ship is now in pieces, that its engine has been stripped out. And the way that the dialogue happens and the way the conversation happens, it's like a person has been killed and it's not hokey, I guess. Like, it's not played for laughs. It's not like, oh, look at these goofy guys treating the ship like it's a person. Like, no, it's treated seriously. Like, this matters a lot to this guy. And it would, as we will find out, it's a Tellerite trait. I'm very serious about their machines. I'll also say that this and a, this episode benefits greatly from the space trucker episodes in painting the picture of how important these ships are to the merchants. Yeah, no, you're absolutely uh, right. And you know, when you're out there in space, all you have is yourself and, and yeah, these ships take on personas of their own. So again, it's silly that Archer has access to any of this information whatsoever, but this force field, and this is, the third force field that we've encountered now in Enterprise. The first one was the uh, reptile people on planet Olive Garden. They had a force field over the door to their mining operation. They did. And then there was a uh, uh, Vunta Kint Reed's anti-cum monster force field that he made in Vox Sola. A, a critical device to protect the only Asian on board. Yes, it's crucial in keeping cum out of your uh, eyes and ears and face. Very, very important technology. And now this guy. Uh, and this is apparently technology you can just buy in the Alpha Quadrant. He just ex- installed it a couple months ago. Uh, but unlike some other force fields, or so we could assume, he's able to shoot through it. So he tells Archer, hey, shut the fuck up, you know. <laughs> The, the instruction brochure on this thing said it was going to mute sound and have like a privacy filter, but I didn't pay for that DLC. So you can see my business, but you can shut up. Also, by the way, the bounty on you is dead or alive. So 
that's on the table. Yeah, don't tempt me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a standard issue uh, complication that has to happen here, and that is if this is Han Solo collecting a bounty so he can get his Millennium Falcon back, a Greedo has to show up at some point. IG-88 needs to make an appearance. And in this case, it's Gowron, but not actually Gowron. It's just obviously the actor who played Gowron playing someone else. This dude, Kago. Kago? Kago. Looks fucking awesome. He looks great. He He absolutely looks fantastic. He looks like some sort of Marvel villain. He does. He looks like he should be in Thor 2. Yeah. You know, like, he, like you told me that this guy was the villain of Thor 2. I would believe you. I would believe you, too. I don't remember anything that happens because Thor 2 was a boring movie that sucked. And this guy, you know, he's got a big old ridge on his on his big distended head. It's got like these two really big like hemispheres. He's got like wispy gray hair behind him. He's got like Cardassian face. It's all like it is a really good makeup job that he did on him. But holy shit, this actor's eyes give him away every damn time. You know, Voyager used to do stuff like this. The Raptor people, um, Professor Bubbleneck. They come up with these really cool aliens that you only get to see for a couple seconds. And again, it's probably because it's uncomfortable makeup or, you know, it's a limited range of actions and you can't really do walk and talks with it or whatever. But the guy approaches in warp and hails a scholar and is like, cough him up. I know you got him. Uh, And this is where you get more exposition on how shitty the Klingons are. A bounty was issued on Archer. This Tellarite guy was hired to go out and get him. And the Klingons thought he was taking so too long. So they hired Spider Gowron. Kago. I mean, he's got a cool game. Yeah, fine, cool Kago. Name. Yeah, like he's, his name is cool enough that it's like he's Kago. He's sure. Gowron, but he's Kago. Mm-hmm. Kago's like, uh, yeah, so they got me. And then Tellarite's like, I didn't do a bad job. If I did do a bad job, you would already have them. So it's a nice chance for scholar to display that he's not happy with this lifestyle, right? That, that this isn't his idea of a good time. He's not doing it for kicks. Yeah. He's doing he's it because de- he's got a mission. And he's dealing with shitbag bounties that he's catching. He's dealing with other shitbag bounty hunters. He's dealing with shitbag handlers. He's dealing with his broken relationship with his brother that he's trying to repair by doing this. Like, they do a pretty good job of making the a dude who broke on the Enterprise and like shot Trip and kidnapped Archer to be sympathetic. You know, they do a good job of that. Sure. So he goes, you know, fuck you. What are you going to do? You're going to shoot at me. You're going to blow me up. You blow me up. You're not getting anything. You know, it's going to be bounty over. So why don't you just piss off? And he cuts comms. And then uh, Scholar goes back to Archer goes, you might want to hold on to something because I think he's going to shoot us. And then. While they're in warp, Kago shoots Scholar with some phasers. Yeah, you're not letting this go. It's like Dear Doctor, right? You're just not letting this clear inconsistency go. It's it's fundamental rules of Star Trek. <laughs> just shoot a torpedo, man. Like, that's all you got to do. It's a more expensive effect. Uh, I think. Uh, the end result is that. They have to land on a planet 
to effect repairs after shaking uh, Gowron off their tail. And when they do so, they bond a little bit, you know, and Archer gets more information. But he also sabotages the ship so that ultimately you get another opportunity for this guy to go meet with his brother. And this is really just to serve Archer witnessing all of these interactions or being part of these interactions so you can understand that this dude is not a bad dude. Also, too, Archer's wearing them down. Archer's yeah. telling them stories about what happened impressing like i'm innocent you know you're sending me to my death uh you don't have to do this like you know typical hostage negotiation stuff meanwhile back in enterprise they're trying to chase him down they've got all the crew back up from uh the surface they've got the engine repaired they zip off to follow the uh warp signature and once you know it they end up at a dead end there's a decoy buoy that has been emitting the same warp signature as scholar's ship, which lends further credence that this dude is serious business and probably the most badass bounty hunter I've seen in any sort of a Star Trek show. I don't know what they do on Deep Space Nine, but uh, this guy's got some A plus tricks. Have you ever noticed, by the way, before we get off of the brief interaction that enterprise has with this little buoy blows it up. Have you ever noticed like Reed always his lines when it comes to violence gets very sinister, you know, like the trips like blow that thing the fuck up. Let's move on. he's like, it was pleasure, sir. You know, like he just, he suddenly like looks like violence. I crave violence. Like, I know you're supposed to read as British here, dude, but like not evil British. Like you're supposed to be like stern, effective officer British. And instead you're like, yes, I wish to be a colonist in South Africa. <laughs> like that kind of that kind of British Reed sucks. Yeah, there there is nothing that I like about Reed. There's no scenes that Reed is involved with where I go, I'm glad it's this character here instead of something else because I feel like he is bringing a unique good thing to the table. Reed um, is very clearly cl- clearly below Mayweather at this point. Absolutely. And yeah, like no question. Mayweather's actor might not be as good. And you know, I'm not saying that what's his name, Anthony Keating? Uh Anthony Montgomery. It's Dominic Keating who plays Reed. Dominic Montgomery. Uh, there's there's nothing An- against him personally other than Anthony the fact Montgomery is whatever. The- <laughs> I don't care. Were you trying to fuck that up on purpose? I no, I just to- I just I don't care about these characters and <laughs> minus the fact he doesn't know how to hold a gun and and that is his entire character concept should be I am the guy who wants to be holding a gun. Uh, he's he's a fine actor. It's just Reed as a character is boring and. Uh, you know, vaguely, I don't want to say he's predatory. He's just, he sucks, man. He's a wet blanket. He's got a bad temper. He's not good at his job, but he's great at other people's jobs, namely science. He would be a great science guy. Let's, let's, let's jump back over to, you know, how we fix the crew. Like if this dude was the science officer that was supposed to be there, he could have a little chip on his shoulder that to Paul kind of out him, And he could always be stretching for like the next big accomplishment to make sure that his name is featured in the history books instead of sub commander to Paul, you know, the first Vulcan to successfully serve on, you know, the first 
Starfleet deep space exploration vessel. If he was not the tactical gun guy, I think a lot of his other personality traits would line up better and he would be more interesting as a result. Distant. I agree. Yeah. Cut all the military stuff like, no, I just I don't like my parents. I, I live in kind of a semi utopia, but yeah, I, I don't get along with my parents. I'm quirky. I don't get along well. Um, I'm vaguely sexually predatory sometimes. So the A plot continues until Archer hits his captor with a plan of how he can turn in the bounty, not get killed, but still allow Archer a chance to escape. We don't see the planning of this. We merely see the implementation, which is Archer's got a set of manacles on, Klingons show up, they shove a suitcase full of money to the guy that's less than they bargained for, of course, because Klingons are dicks about everything, and they take the take Archer and leave. Of course, what we will quickly find out is that Archer apparently is the greatest prison break artist of all time, because uh, he's about to pull an amazing caper. <laughs> he first he lockpicks the manacles. Then he pulls out a special little device that like shuts down the door lock out of the manacles. How convenient that this bounty hunter has a pair of trick manacles that have built in lock picks and C4 explosive. Wouldn't that be the ultimate moops like, oh, damn, you know, here's a bounty I caught. It's, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, space Dahmer. It's Lon Suter, right? I'm going to hand them off to the authorities like, you know, I've captured a lot of innocent men that I really felt bad about selling them out. But that guy, that that was a bad dude. He killed a lot of women and children. That was a bad guy. Oh, damn. I gave him the wrong manacles with the fucking lockpick and C4 and use the trick manacles. I got at the white elephant gift party. Oh, no, (laughs) I knew I should have. I I tried to delineate those by putting the fluorescent sticky post-it note on there, but the post-it note <laughs> fell off because they're oiled up manacles. J- j- roll back a little bit. Roll back to when Archer starts repairing his relationship or, you know, bonding with Skalar. Uh, what's his name? Kegel? Kogel? Gowron. Gowron. Mm-hmm. He's shooting and he's like rocking his ass, shooting with the phasers and warp, which you can't do. Let me out. I'm a great pilot. Yeah, we know you're great. You're just the best everything, Archer, aren't you? just saw that episode last week. We know. The best captain and the best. So he lets him out and he's flying the ship. He learns how to fly it in like two seconds and like scholars fixing the ship and he's flying the ship. He also starts flying the ship around left and right while in warp, which I believe there was a Starfleet rhyme about that we found. Yes. Yeah. How'd that go? No, no left or right one faster than light. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Throw that one in the trash, too. <laughs> <laughs> so he's the best pilot. And you know, that's how he starts. Singing. And then jump over to here. I, I forgot. He's also just the best prison escaper. He's escaped prison many times at this point. I think he's escaped from more prisons than he has successfully negotiated with like alien races, which <laughs> yes, in fact, he has chosen to escape from prisons rather than negotiate with the alien races. <laughs> At least one clear occasion when he faced off against his former co-star, Colonel Grot. So when uh, 
when when the Klingons have him and they lock him up in the cell, and he starts looking down at these trick shackles, I start getting flashbacks from uh, what was the prison the space bogs episode. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Con Aramar. Con Aramar, right? And I'm like, look how big those shackles are. Mm-hmm. This is going to be shackle pipe part two. He is a hundred percent going to be busting people over with these fucking shackles. And and true to form, right? Like Conor may have had the greatest like bust a bust a pipe over someone moment the show could ever possibly produced. Like it, a cinematography moment of excellence that was both perfect in context and incredibly comedic on a on a surface and deep level. This uh, you definitely see the 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 way in which the, sh- the space shackles are the cousin of the space pipe. They're a versatile weapon because mm-hmm. he blows the door and then all he's got is the shackles, right? Like. He's got to find a way to implement them correctly. And he makes a tactical error with the first guard because he decides to do some sort of weak knee kick <laughs> at first. He, thought it, he got confused and thought it was an episode of Quantum Leap. He was going for that that jump kick. Yeah, and it didn't work out, but he got the gun away and there was a brief struggle. But eventually he got his hands on the space pipe again and just belted him right across the face. And that was it. It was I done. Was, I was legitimately sad to see him trade the shackle pipes off for disruptors. So then there's a running gun where many, many Klingon warriors are running through this ship, trying to get Archer who is shoots. He shoots several of them. He does. And then I wonder, do Klingon disruptors have a not kill setting? I I imagine they have a not kill setting in that the lower settings can maybe not kill you. You know, and it's one of those things where it's like, it's like Rocky Ford. If he dies, he dies. You know, like it's they're not stunned so much as less lethal. I'm you know? going to say no. They have one setting and it is disrupt your life. And he's probably killed a couple of people. He throws the gun in an escape pod, jettisons out and is, uh, you know, luckily that's right when Enterprise has tracked him down. Enterprise flies in manages to beat the Klingon ship. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 the Klingon ship also was a non-standard Klingon ship. It looked like a transport. Sure. You know? And so sure. like the idea that enterprise could probably like win a fight against this thing is an absurd. And so we can only assume that that captain is going to be getting demoted out to being a weapons specialist in some other butthole of the empire. I'm happy to report that they're going to follow up on this plot very quickly. There's a, there's there are consequences that we will get to see very soon. Nice. Uh, and and that's that. Archer is safe and sound and off Enterprise flies. And now the B plot. Oh, God, help us. So as Reed is calling everybody back up to the ship because the captain just got nabbed. Uh, one of the teams coming back up from the surface was composed of flocks and to Paul, who was in a very fetching skin tight white safari outfit. I don't know what the hell this thing's supposed to be, but outdoor action suit to Paul and flocks have to go to decon, as we mentioned. And the B plot of this episode involves, I kid you not, 
to Paul getting the pond far early because of a microbe. While trapped in the decontamination sexy yeah, chamber. Yeah, yeah, while trapped in the sexiest place possible. In a with, in a state of body undress. Gels. With a state of undress and already greased up. Like they just went for all of it. You know? It's not just that they're in the decon chamber. It's not just they're greased up. It's also that T'Pol is violently horny trying to fuck any man she can find. Or die. I just feel so fucking bad for her, dude. <laughs> like, it's just, it's so blatant. It's so much. And it's so distracting and so obviously done just to appeal to horny young teens. Well, uh, I'm going to recap the B plot and then we can, there's, there's several big topics I want to discuss. Uh, so they get in, they're going through the decon process. The decon process fails. Um, to Paul's like, I need to get out. I need to be on the bridge. Science yeah. needs to happen to track down Archer. Like this is a big fucking deal that a bounty hunter is taking Archer to Klingon space. I need to be up there right now. And for whatever reason, they're not just like, okay, well, you're sick, but what if we put you in a space suit and then you can go to the bridge? Or we could like give you some sort of a, a pad or a computer tablet and you could like work from here. No, instead, it's like we're going to be here completely cut off from everybody. Uh, the decon process, I don't know. Uh, the, 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 the pond far starts coming out. She starts making some strong sexual advances to flocks who completely rebuffs her. And we'll get to that. Uh, eventually she escapes and then they evacuate the entire floor because she could potentially be sick with. And again, this is a, the reoccurring theme that humans have very low constitution and stuff that minorly inconveniences. Other races could completely kill humans. Very true. And uh, she ends up confronting Reed in a spacesuit and tries to do him. And instead he shoots her. And then she wakes up on the floor and she's healed and everything's fine. And they've also already found Archer and end of B plot. Jolene Blaylock has to spend the episode being very breathy and and touchy with John Billingsley and Dominic Keaton to the point of, man, it's got to be hard. It's got to be hard to, to, to find that energy and keep that energy through a, a whole shoot like that. You know, like, all right, Jolene, you're going to have to be super horny again. Take five. Action. I, I will say that uh, I loved that when they start applying the decon gel, that Phlox pulls a curtain mm -hmm. and her eyes like bug out of her head. And I brighten my notes like to Paul acting like she never knew that there was a fucking curtain there, apparently. And then later on, the episode addresses it. And she's like, I didn't know we had a curtain installed. And then Phlox is like, oh, well, some of us are shy. <laughs> some of us don't like disrobing in front of others. Apparently, the freaky geeky uh, Denoblians are are a little bashful about showing their bodies to others. It's a, it's a bit odd. I'm not the quite male. sure how it all works. The men, the yeah, maybe maybe it's the women who don't care. Well, it's very clearly. I mean, we go back to uh, which one was her space aids? Uh, stigma. Stigma. Yeah. Right? The zany B plot there was 
Flax's wife is horny. There's nothing that they have done to frame the Denoblians to paint Fla- to, to paint Denoblian males as being as prude as uh, Flax is here. Like this, yeah. this <laughs> in in Denoblian culture, uh, the women are super aggressive and sexually liberated, and the men are cuckolds who enjoy the concept that their wife might be sleeping around, but God forbid you try to look at one of them. I feel like this really flies in the face of, uh, what was her name? Cooker Carper, the, the ensign who was supposed to be his nurse. Cutler. Cutler. Crewman Cutler. Yeah. You know, he was pursuing a relationship with her and Flox even admits in this episode that yes, he thinks, uh, to Paul is very attractive. I would have liked him to say, like, not this weird. No, stop. It's inappropriate. Like, you know, listen, I consider you a friend. You know, I have to be your confidant. We have had many deep. We if I do this, it violates deep core tenants that I have between patient. And there's a way to give him moral high ground here that wasn't like, no, stop. He seemed just very passive and weak and uh, not asserting himself, just just kind of uncomfortable. And I don't know. I I liked the idea that, you know, they were going for this and executed on it particularly well. I also, you know, do appreciate that. Like, I could totally see Flocks like steadfastly refusing right like of all the characters on the whole ship like he would be the one to say under no circumstances am i going to do this i'm a doctor you're my patient you know like i'm going to treat you with science i'm not going to treat you with that dick like on the flip side though this is a guy who puts leeches in space sentient space slime on people right like if there's anybody in star trek who should have been like you're sick and here's a non-traditional cure to fix you like it would be Flox. I think that's like if it's a little bit of dicking you need. Clearly, I have differing uh, moral principles and other humans. If I'm willing to. To do some of the questionable things that I've done already, then sure, I can slip you a little D. It, it would have made sense if it was, again, the 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 moral high ground of. I it will compromise me as your confidant and your physician if we do this. I will agree in part, um, but him wanting to pursue to the maximum degree possible the scientific solution rather than the deep dicking solution is precisely what I would expect out of him. And he was on to a treatment very quickly. You know, it wasn't he was resisting the only option. He actually developed something to help her get over the symptoms by eliminating the pathogen and was like, no to Paul, I don't think necessarily me dicking you down is actually going to help you because an outside source has caused this. So I might plow you with all seven of my Denoblian penises and it won't actually satiate you because that's not the reason you're in heat. Like they kind of go there a little bit. And I, that's why I think it makes a lot of sense that he just is like, no, I'm not fucking you. Speaking of Denoblian physiology, I love the scene where like on one side of the curtain is her showing off an absolutely rocking body. Yeah. And then on the other side, 
it's dad bod flocks. Yeah, it's fucking John Billingsley's middle age ass. Like clearly like, like, the least in shape man on Enterprise. Oh yes. <laughs> like just think if Mayweather would have been in there, that'd be a, a good match to watch. <laughs> oh, well, that would have been a fun dynamic. Mayweather attempting to resist, uh, like to Paul uh, in in Pon Far, and he's just like this this shredded Adonis of a man. And it takes every bit of that amazing physique he has to keep super strong alien away from him. Yeah. And I would have bought Mayweather being like, no, this is wrong. Like, especially with like his, oh, gosh, cap attitude he has. Mm-hmm. Like, no, yeah. this is wrong. I'm not going to like he makes he shouldn't be a a poster child Boy Scout. But the show has made him into that in my mind. So I think you would put it up. Anyways, back to Flox's body. His spinal cord being behind like gills, mm-hmm. so creepy and alien. And like when she's like rubbing him down, and like f- <laughs> you didn't watch uh, the boys yet, have you? No. Is there something you- about the deep? <laughs> yes. It? Yes. Okay. <laughs> like, wow, you haven't watched the boys yet. That's oh, that's I, when- I should amend my statement. I haven't watched past season one. Okay, yeah. When she gets her finger in there, um, I will say that when she first starts coming down with Pon Far. Uh, you know, you're out there saying appealing to the little boys and stuff like she sold it. She had me on that first round of like, hey, I'm coming down with something that's sexy time. And I was like, that's 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 pretty good for uh for network television. Like, I mean, great. she she definitely was fucking sexy as hell in this episode. And like, yeah, but the they, late- they, they they packaged it up and sold it correctly. The later scenes where she's trying to get it, it gets a little bit more comical. Here is the interesting pairing in this episode for me because the last time that we saw Ponfar was Blood Fever. Blood Fever. And the focus of Blood Fever sexy time was Balan and Tom. Balana Tours. And here you've got Roxanne Dawson being handed uh a real inappropriate B script or uh, mm-hmm. B plot. And I'm wondering if uh, Berman and Braga were like, well, we're going to catch flack how overtly sexy this is. But if we have a woman direct it, then maybe it'll seem less inappropriate and we'll insulate ourselves slightly. Right. So that's real questionable that this is a script she got handled. And you can say from one end, like, listen, here's conceptually things that you've already dealt with uh, as an actor and maybe you can approach it uh, you know more friendly or whatever but it just it seems like a real slimy move to me uh and you know looking back on Roxanne Dawson's like body I forget what her last one was but I you know she did have Vox Sola which wasn't supposed to be a sexy episode very clearly was <laughs> Bukaki in space. It was it was a literal hentai monster uh, invades Enterprise. I don't. I mean, maybe Roxanne Dawson's just real horny. Maybe <laughs> Roxanne Dawson goes out of her way to get these these sexy scripts, and even the scripts that aren't sexy and makes them sexy. Like she's that's that spicy Latina in her. She can't shake I, it. Maybe she's like, oh shit, uh, space heat. Give me that script. I really had a good time. If I, if listening to Delta Flyers wasn't such a fucking chore, I'd go back and try and find their blood episode or the blood fever, fever episode. episode. Maybe they got her. 
I mean, she might be saying stuff that again, just, yeah, you know, that was fun as an actress to do. And I enjoyed it. And, you know, particularly like blood fever probably was not feel as exploitive to her. It, it definitely was not like, if you look at blood no. fever compared to this, it was not nearly as exploitive. Like Bolana keeps her fucking clothes on. Um, she has to act like she's horny as fuck and she really needs Tom to, to dick her down. But like that, they play that off effectively. She's trying. not in sexy blue lighting, rubbing cream all over herself. She's, while she's dirty, wearing... trapped in a cave in, you know, like is the least sexy environment possible. And she's just still thirsting for it. This B plot, you could cut all the A stuff off. And you could probably just upload this B plot as is to xvideos.com. <laughs> yeah. And most people aren't going to notice that there's yeah. no actual nudity and it's yeah. still going to get the job done. Yeah, Jillian Blaylock literally writhing around with nearly no clothes on, up in the shit of every man she can get into range, and being breathy and as sensual as she possibly can in the process. And. Yes, it like it is what it says on the tin. I'm not going to say that it isn't and that it is not effectively created. But this is not fucking Star Trek. This is just way over the line, in my opinion, of of what I'm looking for when I'm watching the series. I'm not a prude. I like pretty ladies as much as the next hetero dude. I'm I'm just saying, like, this is not what this franchise is ever supposed to be. Um, at least not to this blatant degree. Yes, I know in this, the 60s episodes, everyone had ridiculous short skirts. Yes, you had uh, freaking um, uh, Deanna Troy with her low-cut civilian outfit rolling around with the goods on display. But it's always like a bit of it, you know, a hint of it, a little tease. It's Let's not little- lingering shots of someone working lotion over their hips and down there in their thighs and then showing the butt off. And and then later on, writhing around on the ground, talking about how much they need to fuck right then and there. Like, please stop. I would have respected the B plot more had when Trip showed up to deliver dinner. If Flox was just like, listen, she needs vitamin D. I can't do it because uh, I'm her physician and it's inappropriate. But you can get in here and straighten this out real quick <laughs> and, and, and have created a resentment or some sort of a weird something weird between them as they've been establishing what's been a pretty wholesome uh, relationship because that's what they flirted with in blood fever, right? Was that this thing happened between Tom and Bellana and Tom for the first time ever told a girl no. And, you know, she almost died, but what they got the, how they fix her. Uh, Vork came down and they fought over it and she oh, and that alleviated it. Yeah, alleviated so, it. You know, we've we've are kind of already done this and far be it from Enterprise to leave a, a good retread on the table. But had Trip uh did it uh, and it created problems or some other complexity without it turning into like some sort of friends sitcom situation. I I, I would have respected it more than she gets loose and has to be hunted down like an animal after, you know, bumping and grinding on creepy Reed in his spacesuit. I'm done with this one. <laughs> um, and I'm glad I'm done with this one because while our last 
episode here is technically in season two. It's really the season premiere of, of season three, because this is when things are going to take a hard shift into a very different kind of show. Next episode is going to be season two, episode 26, The Expanse. After a devastating attack on Earth by an alien probe of unknown origin, Enterprise is recalled and sent into a strange expanse on a new, more vital mission. And that's going to be coming to us from Rick Berman and Bran Bragaw, which that's sole writing credit and uh, directed by Alan Croker. So you were wondering when 9-11 was going to show up in this show. It's next week. Mm. Um, and this is where the critical opinion about enterprise really started to change it's when it finally figured out it's it it could have a purpose and that this whole like proto federation just starting to explore the universe thing oh what if a compelling story line is that it has unintended consequences and stakes and what if the lack of a federation and starfleet means that Enterprise has to act in desperate circumstances. And that their their paucity of resources and backup is part of the story. And they're like, oh yeah, all this shit real works real good. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to actually getting into some consistently good tricks, so bring it on. Yeah, we it's been a long road from get from here <laughs> there to here. Uh but we're finally to the spot where I can genuinely say the show gets consistently good from this point forward. So I'm looking forward to watching it with you, Peter, and we'll see everyone else next week. 